so good to be with you this morning. Uh, the title this morning is The Promised Interruption. The promise and the interruption in that, the promised interruption. And so we continue to pray for Pastor Kevin and for his wife Vicki and all of those that, that uh, are sick and, and not feeling well uh, this morning. We continue to pray for them. And so was scheduled to preach this next Sunday, but uh, with all of the, the sickness and that craziness, here we are two weeks in a row. I don't know many youth pastors that get two weeks back to back, and so uh, we'll claim it today. We're excited to be here with you today and to be preaching over Christmas over these next two Sundays because I am a Christmas fanatic. I am a Christmas fanatic, and if you're in there with me, you started listening to Christmas music two months ago, you know? That's how it flows. Um, I am old for a youth pastor especially, and I do definitely remember record albums from Firestone and the big console stereo unit in the den, and I would put those record albums on and listen to Perry Como, Andy Williams, some amazing Christmas stuff. And so that's, that's how I um, was raised and the smells of the season. And I'm pretty much with a candle called Starlight Woods between the two buildings here um, during this Christmas season. Actually, it's over in the youth area now. And so, uh, but I love the smells of the season, the lights, and I'm a definite fan of pre-lit, all about the pre-lit. I hate stringing lights, and if you're in that with me, you understand. Uh, food, Christmas cookies, Christmas cookies. Walking that way. Ah. Okay, well, and so, but also joy. The joy of this Christmas season. Oh, I had that in my notes even. At this time. Kids, we have, we have kids worship for you, so at this time. Sorry, it takes me a while to catch a cue. If you would, go ahead, kids. We're going to send you out to the side here. I just thought Steve was waving at me. Good morning, Steve. <laughs> Drew was doing like the reverse slide back there. I don't know what you were doing. Y'all have fun. Great stuff set up for y'all over there. That's why it's in my notes in red, the only thing in red. Somehow I looked over that. So the Christmas season, the kids and that portion of it, uh, being empty nesters, we still have the excitement of kids and the gifts and all of that. And so just reinforcement of being a Christmas fanatic. And so with that, personally, I also have very high expectations for Christmas. Just, I, I go into the season with high expectations that it will be perfect. It's the most wonderful time of the year, the hap, happiest time of the year, right, from the old songs. And so we look at the Christmas season as a time of perfect peace, of perfect harmony, and of perfect joy. But honestly, uh, for us, for the Watsons at least, it has been a little um, crazy, a little cray-cray over the last couple of years. Just one year ago, um, we as a family uh, had, had the corona, had the rona in our home. Um, all four of us at some point during December, and Donna had it the worst. For the rest of us, it was about a week, and we're back in the mix. Uh, but for about a month, we couldn't get Donna's oxygen levels up, and so we had an ER visit and some of that craziness. So Christmas was not the same last year, and so that expected wonderful time that we had grown used to over the decades was, was not there last year. It was a little different, a little crazy, a little interrupted, if you will. This year, just this past weekend, on the opposite side of that, a great interruption, uh, got to officiate my son's wedding last Sunday, and so we weren't with you for that reason, but we were out in East Texas in the beautiful Piney Woods, and uh, Brock Watson and Riley Watson, 
husband and wife now. And so with that, I, lo- I look at this passage from Matthew 1 in a whole new light, um, having just married my 21-year-old son to his 21-year-old wife now. That, that's crazy, but that was a great interruption. And so, but that was also pretty all-consuming, especially for these last two weeks leading into the wedding. And so again, here we are, we're left with less than a week before Christmas, and I think we started official Christmas shopping last night. So, if my eyes are fluttering, that's from the stress of not having our gifts purchased yet. But, uh, so, a little interruption there, more in a, a good way. And so, my question to us personally is, can, can we still be all in this Christmas? Watson family, can we still be all in? And then I would open that question up to you, and I would say, church, can we still be all in this Christmas? And the answer is yes. And I'm looking at it not so much from a shopping-related point, but from a Savior-related point. Can we be all in with Jesus this season? And so if you think about it for our culture, uh, there are many who, who really lack the resolve to truly follow Jesus Christ and what that looks like the fact that there might be some interruptions involved in that. To be all in for Jesus means not only could there be interruptions, but God's going to show up, and he could throw a wrench into our well-laid plans. I think that's what we'll see in Scripture this morning. And that brings us to Joseph today, because there was an exciting time in his life that we will read about, and there was a wrench thrown into their plans. An interruption, if you will, a promised interruption. And if you think about Mary, and and you think about, as we'll see in the passage this morning, it appears Joseph already knew what was going on um, with Mary, and before the angel visited him, as we'll see in the passage, and and so we wonder where that conversation might have happened. Where did Mary share um, that news that the angel brought to her with with Joseph? And I wonder, was it after the three months that she spent with Elizabeth that she was encouraged and given, I guess at that point, the boldness to go and to share. And so, how about that conversation? Mary and Joseph. Joseph, I'm pregnant with God's child. How was that received? West Texas boy. Okay, that's awesome. Let's crank up the smoker, throw on a brisket, and bust out the sweet tea. Okay, probably not the response that Joseph gave. Probably nothing like that. As a matter of fact, Mary actually needed some divine help to explain the interruption. And so, as we'll see, this doesn't read with the same cuteness that we see in a nativity scene. If we look out there in the front of the church, there is a certain cuteness to that. There is a certain um, air to that. And I think we miss a lot of what we'll catch in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. And it reads like a historical event because the things that we read about this morning were historical. They were historical. Archaeology can prove up these things as they happen, but this part of Christmas, it seems so out of control. It seems so messy. It seems so wild and painful because Mary and Joseph did have a plan for their life. They were engaged to be married. They had dreams, and God showed up. And God showed up. So as you're turning to Matthew chapter 1, we see in Luke one twenty-eight that God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary, and he calls her, O favored one. You're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be a king, the son of God. He's going to rule forever. In essence, Mary, you're going to deliver the deliverer. 
And so J.I. Packer, referring to the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ, said this, it is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, that is our core passage this morning. As we read it again together, this is again what Drew read at the start of the service, the birth of Jesus Christ. And it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So as we unpack this today, again, the person of Joseph. Donna, I'm not sure if you noticed, but I stole um, something out of our nativity at home. Uh, one of our traditions is uh, we have the willow tree nativity, and this is Joseph, and there's usually a little stick that uh, is connected to him, uh, but I kind of left that because I knew I'd lose it and be in trouble. So this is Joseph from the willow tree manger in our home. And so we set this up. This is one of our traditions. This is the first thing that we set up each Christmas season just so we can focus again on that reason, being the Christ child, Emmanuel, God with us. And as I look at this, I think it's interesting because Joseph doesn't really have a face. There is no facial depiction on here. Uh, he's got the beard, and he is looking over the baby Jesus if he were in his right place. But as we look at this, what do we know about Joseph? What do we know about Joseph? Because we're given 17 verses as we begin Matthew describing Jesus' human genealogy. One, or actually a couple of those verses here in this first chapter actually describe or talk about Jesus' divine genealogy. We've already read a couple of those in that 18 through 25 passage. And then we see Joseph in verse 16. There's one verse including Joseph in this mix of the genealogy, and we see that in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. But beyond that, we have minimal info. We have minimal info on Mary and even much less on Joseph. And so what do we know? Number one, as we just read, his father's name is Jacob. Don't know a whole lot beyond that. Okay? Don't know the interactions that maybe they had. And so Jacob is his father's name. Jesus is never called the son of Joseph in Scripture. Joseph is never called Jesus' father in Scripture. Joseph isn't mentioned in Mary's song of praise from Luke 1, 46 through 55. So what do we know about Joseph? We see no trace of Joseph being quoted in Scripture. Okay, and he, myself, I, I'm reading that, I'm like, wait, what about with the innkeeper? He's dialogue. There's no quotes that tell the story, but Joseph's not quoted in Scripture. We know that he was a craftsman, 
The Greek word for artisan or craftsman is tekton. That is used to describe his profession. In particular, a carpenter, a woodworker, someone who builds. There were other phrases for ones who work with metal, ones who work with stone, and so we believe he was a carpenter, one who worked with wood. And so we see that. We also see that he was a just man or a righteous man, as we see in the English Standard Version and the New Living Translation, relating him to the Old Testament saints. And so he believed in God. He acted on that belief. We know that they were both young. We know that they were both young. Girls were often betrothed as, as young as 12 to 13, with the guys being usually several years older. And, and so we feel like he's probably in, in that very young realm, especially for what he has just found out. We also know in Scripture that he took the infant Jesus to the temple for dedication. We know that he took Mary and Jesus into Egypt to protect them from Herod's bloody edict. And he took his family to the Passover in Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. And so beyond that, we just don't know a whole lot. We don't know when Joseph died necessarily. Could have been well before Jesus' public ministry. We feel like definitely it was before the crucifixion because if you'll remember at the crucifixion, Jesus gave his mother Mary into the care of John, not Joseph. And so again, we don't have just a whole lot of information there. And so here's what we do know. I want to present to you from the passage that we read from Matthew 1, 18 through 25, five snapshots. I want us to see five pictures of Joseph and from that kind of boil it down to be able to walk away with what it looks like to be all in this Christmas as Joseph saw it and how we can see it through his eyes. And so the first thing is this, Joseph's dilemma. If you're taking notes, write that down. Number one, Joseph's dilemma. Going to take it kind of two verses at a time. There in verses 18 and 19 again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Here's the setup. Here's how it's going to unfold. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man, again a righteous man in the New Living Translation, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That's a dilemma. That's a tough decision, especially to be a young man and a young woman. That's a difficult choice. And as I go back to the idea of just officiating Brock's wedding, my son, my 21-year-old son, who married Riley, his now 21-year-old wife, I think about them being thrust into this situation, and it gives me a new understanding of how hard that must have been. And I wonder if Jacob, Joseph's earthly father, was around for him to talk to, to discuss with. We don't see that in Scripture. And then again, I go back to, to Brock. How would I counsel Brock? If Brock came to me in a situation like this, as crazy as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds, how would I counsel him? I would hope that he would respond the way that we see Joseph respond in this passage, but I'm not sure I would have given him the advice to go ahead, go through with that, that wedding, with that marriage. Because for our eyes at least, it, it's obvious Okay, in this case, Mary had been with another man. That's what it looks like. And so I'm not sure I would have advised him correctly in this. But I think about that, and it's hard to imagine how life-altering that interruption would have been for Brock and for Riley, had they been in the, the same shoes. And so thinking back, if Jacob was alive and he had that man-to-man -man talk, what, what would that have looked like? Again, hearing the news, we assume from Mary that she is with child, God's child. For Joseph, 
Being a just man, being a righteous man, a couple of things. Number one, because of his moral standards, he knew that with it as it appears, and you would automatically assume Mary had been with another man because it's hard to buy this. It's God's baby thing so far. Okay, we haven't seen anything that, that gets Joseph to buy in at this point. And so being the just man that he is, because of his moral standards, he couldn't go through with a marriage. Mary's pregnant and he's not the father. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is this, because of his righteous love and kindness that we feel like we see here in the passage, he didn't want to think about shaming Mary publicly. How beautiful is that? That he would respond in that way. Again, a young man. And we believe a just, righteous man believes in God. That's his response. Because here's the thing, he could shame her publicly, and it could bring the death penalty for her. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 through 24, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. That's serious. He could have had her killed per the law. And so let's talk about this, this idea of being betrothed. They were betrothed, Mary and Joseph, as we see in verse 18. By Jewish custom, it really signified so much more than what we understand as, as our engagement process. Brock and Riley were engaged. It, it happened midsummer in a rainstorm. All right, but to be betrothed was so much deeper in that. The Hebrew marriage, it actually involved two different stages. The first stage was called the Kedushin, the betrothal. And the second part was called the Hupa, or the actual marriage ceremony. And so during that, marriage was normally arranged by the families of the bride and the groom, and really normally didn't consult with the bride or groom a whole lot. And so these marriages were arranged. Their families had placed them together. How would that fly in our culture today? Brock, here you go. Tori, got a guy for you. All right, that would not fly in the Watson household. I know that much. And I know it still happens in cultures today. But it was a contract that was made and sealed by a payment that was called the mohair. The mohair was like a dowry. It was like the price for a bride. And it was paid by the groom or his family to the father of the bride. And, and that mohair, if you will, was paid to reimburse the wedding expenses. But it was also a type of insurance. It was a type of insurance for the bride if the groom became satisfied and divorced her. It was a contract that was binding when the contract was made. The man and woman were considered legally married, even though the marriage ceremony, the hoopah, and the consummation often didn't happen for up to one year after that fact. Quite different from what we know as our engagement in our marriage process here in the States. Just saying. So the betrothal period... It served as a probationary period. It served as a fidelity test. And during the period, the bride and groom usually had little, if any, social contact with each other. And so that gives you a little of the background. And it says in verse 18, before they came together. So they had experienced no physical union, Mary and Joseph. And if we look in Scripture correctly, we know, obviously, God places great value on sexual purity, on abstinence outside of marriage, and fidelity within marriage. We see that it's highly regarded, sexual purity in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as we look at Mary's virginity, it's important evidence of her godliness. 
That's important evidence. In fact, she questioned the angel Gabriel's announcement to her that we see in Luke 1, 34, because she knew that she was a virgin. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Testimony that could serve to protect her from accusations that Jesus was born from another man. Also, her virginity protected more than just her reputation and her moral character, but Jesus' legitimacy, that Jesus was who he said he was. Protected the divine nature of the Son of God. Because if Jesus was conceived by the act of a man, that would make him not divine and not the Savior. Any claims about himself, if that all happened with the act of a man. Any claims about himself would be lies. His resurrection, as his ascension, would be hoaxes. You see the depth of this. You see the weight of what's going on in these, these few verses. Humanity would remain lost. Humanity re- would remain lost. And so as we look in 1 Corinthians 5.17, Paul paints a very clear picture for us that just goes to undergird this. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, so in other words, if his resurrection and the ascension are hoaxes in any form or fashion, if Christ had not been raised, Paul says that your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's a lot to digest. And so Jesus, as God worked it, had one human parent to be fully human and one divine parent to be fully God. One of the basic understandings of our faith, fully God and fully man. Otherwise, we couldn't have a sinless and a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And so for us, again, I want to read into this story. I want to read into, okay, what happened? Who did Joseph go to for counsel? Who did he talk to, and what did that look like? And so it's easy for us to assume a lot, but we don't have any evidence that Joseph felt anger, that he resented, that he was bitter. We see almost just the opposite in his actions toward Mary. His concern was not for the shame that maybe he faced, but it was for Mary's shame, potential shame that she would face. It says, Scripture says he was unwilling to put her to shame. And I believed he loved her so deeply he was determined to divorce her quietly. And again, this is all before the angel shows up. Again, Advent and angels. The angel shows up in a dream for him. As we get to that, that's going to be our second snapshot. So the dilemma as we see it. People over time, if he had decided to divorce her quietly, they probably would have guessed it when the the marriage never materialized, but at least for now, at least for now for Mary, she was protected and she would live. And so Joseph's dilemma, those first two verses there in 18 and 19, and let's look at the next two verses, verses 20 and 21, and look at Joseph's dream, the actual dream that we see. But as he considered these things, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so we see in these two verses the supernatural character of the story. These are some big rocks that we're unpacking here. And so as an encouragement, but also as a verification of Jesus' royal lineage, lineage, Even the way that the angel greeted Joseph, we see that. Joseph, son of David. Jesus was Joseph's legal son, not his biological son. Jesus' royal right in the Davidic line, we see that. And in the phrase, in verse 20, we see, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, the ultimate testimony to the virgin birth. To reinforce this truth, 
The angel tells Joseph in verse 21, she will bear a son. She will bear a son. And so Joseph, you will act as his earthly father. And as you uh, study these these passages and as you look, I I saw several different titles for him as this earthly father. Joseph was called a foster father. Joseph was called an adoptive father. Joseph was called a stepfather. And so as we look in Luke in 3.23, the genealogy of Jesus through Mary's line, it says, being the son as was supposed of Joseph. As was supposed. Again, not the biological father, but he was given the task of raising Jesus during his time on earth. And so as far as most people knew, Jesus was one of Jerry, or Joseph and Mary's kids. One of Joseph and Mary's kids. Look at Matthew 13, 54 through 56. And coming to his hometown... He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? And is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all the sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And the reality was Jesus was physically only the son of Mary. Only the son of Mary. And it affirms again the reality of the virgin conception and the birth. The angel told Joseph to name the child Jesus, and Jesus' name was well known even before this encounter, before his birth. Jesus in the Hebrew word Joshua, Yeshua, Yehoshua, the basic meaning Jehovah or Yahweh will save. Jesus saves. God saves. Jesus would be that salvation, and we see in verse 21 that he will save his people from their sins. What a dream. What a dream, and as we look at that, And as he considered these things, again, in that consideration process, what did that look like? What went through his mind and how long was that time frame as he's considering these crazy things that he's just been told through the angel in this dream? And so with the dream told, we move on to our third snapshot, and that is is this, that Joseph, his dream had to be decoded. There was some decoding. There was some unpacking going on about what this looked like in verses 22 through 23. All this, these things, these events of Jesus' life, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see that um, this news that the angel delivered explaining the, the virgin birth of Jesus, it was predicted by God in the Old Testament. It was predicted by God in the Old Testament. The birth of Jesus was clearly decoded and defined as fulfillment of prophecy. That's what we begin to see in this part of the passage. Again, in verse 22, all of this referring to the facts that we've just seen about what the angel has shared about Jesus' divine birth and the supernatural birth that we were just given, fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken by through the prophet there in verse 22. And so as we look at Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 7, 14, it is this very prophecy, and it's interpreted as predicting this virgin birth, and Matthew um, uses this phrasing with fulfill, or fulfilled, or fulfilling several times. Um, The Old Testament prophecies in Matthew itself, more than a dozen times. And then we see Old Testament quotes more than 60 times in the book of Matthew, second only to Paul in his use of the Old Testament references in Romans. And so as we see this, Matthew repeatedly uses the phrase, as in what we see here in this passage, took place to fulfill. In chapter 2, verse 15, this was to fulfill. 
2.17, then was fulfilled. 2.23, might be fulfilled. Chapter 8, verse 17 of Matthew, this was to fulfill. Chapter 12, verse 17, this was to fulfill, etc. to decode these Jesus links in Old Testament prophecies, that they were being fulfilled, that they were promises being kept. And so we see it throughout the book of Matthew. And these New Testament truths and events, they were culminations, they were completions of what had already been revealed, of revelation that God had already made. And so as we unpack Isaiah 7, 14, let me read that for you. Verse 14, the sign of Emmanuel. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Old Testament reference. And so as we unpack that, it was originally given to King Ahaz. King Ahaz, the son of Uzziah. And as you start to read about King King Ahaz, uh, what you see is, this was in Judah, in 700 B.C., when armies of Syria, they were poised to attack and destroy his kingdom. And so what you find out about Ahaz is he was very wicked as a king. Uh, He had been described as the most wicked of kings. What did that look like? Um, He had put idols throughout all of Jerusalem. Uh, He had sacrificed his own son to Molech. And because of that, he didn't feel like he could ask God for help. Or if he did ask God for help, that might require that he would have to um, step up and do something for God. And so what we see here is just this weird interaction uh, between Ahaz and between Isaiah. And so word came through the prophet Isaiah that we just read. God was not going to allow this kingdom to be destroyed. God wanted to keep his promise to Abraham. And so what we see with Isaiah is that he tells Ahaz that God will give him a sign. God will give you a sign, a sign of Emmanuel, God with us. But Ahaz doesn't want a word from God, as we already said. And so, again, he might be obligated to do what it asks of him. And so he says, nope, don't give me a sign. And so Isaiah basically tells Ahaz that God will give him a sign. You don't make the rules. Here is your sign. That's where we see that passage in 714. Whether you like it or not. And in that prophecy, what we see is, the prophecy said a virgin. And in Hebrew, that could mean a couple of different things. A couple of different things. First of all, um, a girl who had had no physical union with a man. But also, it could mean a girl of marriable age. A maiden, if you will. And so more than likely, as they're hearing this in the context in Isaiah, everyone would have assumed the latter, that a girl of marriable age would conceive. So what's so strange about that? What is uh, making that stand out? It didn't seem too impressive. And so for 700 years, for 700 years, the prophecy was kind of a mystery. It kind of seemed out of place. And in Matthew 1, 23, through the angel, God says, this is what I was talking about. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And for Ahaz, when he hears that, he's thinking of deliverance from an army, okay, to get him out of this crazy situation. He was about to be under siege, but God was promising ultimate deliverance from all enemies through Emmanuel, through God with us. And so God took this obscure prophecy and he brought the ultimate fulfillment through it. And so the greatest sign that Emmanuel, God with us, would come. And in that moment in Matthew 1, Joseph saw not only was God faithful, but God was a promise keeper. And so as that 
prophecy is being unpacked, as that prophecy is being um, decoded, if you will, Joseph makes a determination. In 24, in the first part of 25, we see his resolve, we see his willpower. And so look at the last couple of passages here in verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, so the dream, as you would anticipate, was given to him in his sleep, it looks like, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Until he had given birth to a son. And so there, if you would mark down Joseph's determination, Joseph's determination. Uh, We saw the decision that he had to live with. We saw the dream that the angel gave the information to him in. We saw that dream decoded, linking it to the Old Testament, again, to the prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. And now we see his determination as he wakes, realizes what has just happened. He is resolved and and he uses his will and God's strength. And in this revelatory dream, we see when Joseph woke from his sleep, And we see dreams are often used in Scripture to reveal Scripture. And so what we see in Matthew, um, the word onar means to dream. And in Matthew, used six different times, and they all involve Jesus. They all involve Jesus, and obviously this one involves Jesus. And so all we can make out of Joseph's reaction is this, immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. That's what we tried to get across to our kids growing up, is that delayed obedience is disobedience. And what we see with Joseph is there was immediate obedience obedience, which shines a light, I believe, on his godliness, which shines a light on, I believe, something that, if you think about it, would be inconceivable that God would choose a family and a father for his son that was not all in for God. And so I believe we see that with Joseph. He was all in. He was all in during this first Christmas scenario. And so it says in verse 24 that Joseph took his wife, took his wife into his home In the wedding ceremony, as scholars would debate, the wedding ceremony probably happened soon after the the angel's announcement. And so we see this immediate obedience to what Joseph had just been a part of in the dream. And we see also Joseph's faithfulness. We see his self-control. Again, look there in verse 25. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Even though they were married, he didn't, there was no physical union there until after the birth of Christ. Again, seeing his willpower, seeing um, him deny himself. And so he would take Mary as his wife with honor, and he was given charge to care for Jesus as he was growing up. Wow. What a task to be given such a young man. But again, with his willpower, his determination, God used him in in an amazing way. I wish we knew more about him. I wish we knew more about what it looked like as he was the earthly father of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, the final snapshot is this. Joseph's doubts were silenced. As we see in the passage there in 18, leading up to the dream with the angel, we see that he had already kind of decided, okay, I've gotten the news. Mary is pregnant. Obviously, it's, it's not by me. It's from another man, and so I'm going to um, keep it low. I'm going to divorce her quietly. I don't want to bring public shame on her, but I've got to move on. I've got to move on. And so... What we see instead is final act of obedience to God. We see it in that last part of verse 25. 25 itself, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It was obvious that the doubts had been erased. Joseph was all in at this point. And here's what we should see from all of this, that God kept all of his promises then, and God will keep all of his promises now for us. Is that not awesome? 
reality today. Maybe you're asking yourself, uh, based on what we see in the world, is, is God really active in the world right now? Humanity might throw that out there. Is God truly active in the world right now? Because look at the mess that we see around us. Maybe you're here today and privately, I'm in your mind, you're thinking, is God really involved in my life right now? Is God really involved in my life? Maybe you doubt God's existence. Maybe you're here today and you doubt the existence of God yourself. You have some of those doubts. Joseph had some doubts with the news that was delivered to him. But God was faithful and God was a promise keeper and God unpacked that for him as he was pondering this. And if you think about um, answering these questions in this way, you think about Jesus being Joseph's foster son, if you will. As Joseph watched Jesus grow, he would probably have made this statement or at least agreed with this statement. The greatest outward evidence of Jesus' supernatural birth and deity is his life. It's the life that Jesus Christ lived. And so here's our sign. Behold, a virgin conceived, and not just that, this baby grew up to die on a cross, to be placed in a tomb, and then to rise again. Think about this question. What if Joseph had chosen the easy route? What if he had not believed the angel? What if he had divorced Mary and cast her aside and married a different girl? If he had made those choices, maybe he had the storybook wedding, Maybe he had a nice little carpentry shop, but he would have missed out on Jesus. And so for us, if we choose the easy life, if we choose not to forgive, if we choose not to serve, if we don't buy in and go all in, will we miss out on Jesus and his plan for us? Again, reading over those eight verses, 18 through 25, what we see is Jesus, Joseph's life tells us it was worth it. I think we see that. Joseph's life tells us it was worth it, that God keeps his promises, that Jesus is indeed worth the potential pain and shame, shattered dreams, interruptions, if you will, even death if it comes. And so I ask you this morning, have your doubts been erased? Have your doubts been silenced? As, as we walk through another Christmas season, close with the original question this morning, are you all in this Christmas? in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, as I ponder being Brock's dad, and as I think about the decisions that he has made, as I think about the passion that he has in life, the love that he has for people, I go back to Joseph, and I think about his having those same feelings and thoughts and pictures, snapshots of Jesus as he is growing up. And so for us today, I wonder if Joseph fully understood that Jesus was fully human, that he was able to have the full range of human characteristics, that Jesus was fully divine, that he was able to have the full range of divine characteristics. And as we think about, and Joseph maybe thought about several times, Jesus' human nature and divine nature, that he was born as a baby, yet sustains the universe, that he was 30-some-odd years old, yet exists eternally, that there were times when he was tired from ministry, yet he was omnipotent, all-powerful. That he died, but yet in that death, he conquered death and sin. And I'll close with this. The beginning and the end of Matthew, I believe we can draw strength from understanding this picture of Emmanuel, God with us, because as we look at 
Verse 23, again, looking at Isaiah and the Old Testament prophecy, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then if you think about it, the closing of Matthew and the Great Commission in the 28th chapter there, the last verse, words in red, Jesus Christ speaking, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. Emmanuel, God, with us. He starts and he ends with that. Matthew gets it. Joseph got it. Joseph was all in. We see that in his responses in the story this morning of the Christ child. 